Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. Let's read through this psalm together. Psalm 67. For the choir director, with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. God, be gracious to us and bless us, and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah. That your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth, Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Global joy and rejoicing in God. I think you can see in this short psalm a beautiful, wonderful message of hope. One writer said this psalm is the joyful outpouring of a heart which longs to see the God and King of Israel acknowledged and worshipped as the God and King of the world. And wasn't that God's purpose? Isn't that his purpose? That the nations would come to know and fear him? That all the ends of the earth, verse 7, might fear him? Well, this is the heart of the psalmist. This is the heart of a godly Israelite. One person said this psalm is an expression of Israel's calling as a kingdom of priests and as a light to the nations. And you could say in the Old Testament there are times that are a pretty dim light or a light that didn't even want to turn on. If you think of Jonah, Jonah who's called to go to the Ninevites and he's not interested in that. He's running the other direction. And even when God works in an amazing way to bring him to the place where he submits in the fish's belly, and he goes and he preaches the gospel and they repent, he's still got problems. He's still upset because he knew the character of God. He knew that God would be merciful if they repented, and they did. That was God's desire for the Ninevites. But that's God's desire for the nations. I think you see it here. God be gracious to us, if we're interpreting this properly. This is the nation of Israel. And bless us, the nation of Israel. Cause his face to shine upon us. That's the nation. Why? So that the rest of the nations would know what we know the salvation of God. I think you can see that in verse 2. And so there's a prayer here at the beginning of this psalm for God's gracious blessing that resembles, if you think about the Old Testament, 
it resembles that high priestly blessing. Remember that high priestly blessing that God gave to the priests to invoke over the nation? God said to Moses, Numbers 6.25, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. That priestly blessing, as it was given to the nation, would have been something to receive when someone who stands before God in the place of a priest, the high priest of Israel, would come and call down God's blessing upon the nation. Certainly, special times, the high priest did that. But now this is the congregation taking that prayer and taking it for themselves. Because it's not the priest saying, it's the people saying. Instead of the Lord bless you and keep you, it is God be gracious to us and bless us. So it's a prayer of responsive faith on the part of the people. What are they asking for? They're asking for God's blessing, which someone has defined blessing as an enhancement of life, the bestowal of visible gifts which bear witness to the salvific or saving presence of God. But what's interesting is they're not looking for it to terminate on them. They're not looking ultimately for that blessing to come to them and just for them receive the blessing. Their desire is greater than that. I think you can see that in the psalm. And before we get there, I just want to take note of the image that you see at the end of verse 1 when it says, cause his face to shine upon us. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. That's a striking image. The shining face of God. Would have been something for Moses, wouldn't it, to be in the mountain and though there was a cloud surrounding him, for him to be in the presence of the God of light. For Peter, James, and John eventually to see that cloud lifted up and the face of Christ shining, his garments shining white as light in the transfiguration. So there's an image here that represents a reality and a truth about God, but this is a figurative request. There's not a request here for God to literally Uh, in the sense of visibly present and causing his face to shine upon the Jews. It's a call for blessing. It's a call for and a request for God's favor and his grace. For God's goodness to be shown. And you can see in scripture when this image is used that there's two ways it's used. In one way it's when God's face is hidden or turned away. Deuteronomy 31, when God spoke of a future time when Israel would sin, he said, then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them. And they will be consumed, and many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have come upon us? But I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they will do, for they will turn to other gods. 
In Isaiah 59, familiar passage, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. See, God's face is still shining. It's not just shining in your direction. And that's time for repentance. But when God's face shines, when his favor is upon you, salvation and his goodness is given, there is life enhanced, as that definition went. There's a bestowal of gifts In the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it was material things because God was building a nation. But obviously, you can be under the blessing of God. His face can shine upon you, and you can be in the place of giving testimony to him at your death, as Stephen was. Was God's face shining upon Stephen? Of course it was. Son of man was standing at the right hand of God. His face was shining on Stephen. Stephen was giving testimony. So it's not always material things. This is God's approval. And in that case, strength for Stephen that steeled him in a moment of persecution, even a martyr's death, to be able to testify. David prayed in Psalm 31, Make your face to shine upon your servant. Save me in your loving kindness. Psalm 80, O give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, You who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth, calling for God to shine in favor. The one who dwells in heaven, sits upon the throne of heaven, the cherubim are flying about and praising him, and the favor of that one who is sovereign over all, his favor. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh stir up your power and come to save us, O God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. If his face is shining, that means, in one writer's words, his presence is observable. But not just that, that you have his favor. I said that the psalmist here, the prayer is not a prayer for blessing, that terminates on the one praying. Sometimes we pray for bread. Sometimes we pray for provision. God gives us that provision. And we end up using, spending whatever God has given us. But the blessing here is going beyond the recipient to the nations. You can see that in verse 2, that your way may be known upon earth, your salvation among all the nations. The blessing sought is not to satisfy their own desires. Their blessing sought is for the, for the salvation of others. There's a reason that this psalm has sometimes been called the, the paternoster, the Lord's prayer of the Old Testament, because it's not my kingdom come and my will be done. It's your kingdom come. It's your will be done. It's yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's a Godward prayer that focuses on the purposes of God. Matthew Henry said, thus public-spirited must we be in our prayers. And I think this is a good reminder that sometimes our prayers are very selfish. Sometimes our prayers are very self-focused. We're not thinking about others. We're thinking about me. And there's not a me, even in the Lord's Prayer, 
There's certainly not a me here in terms of that blessing coming to me alone. It's blessing that goes through me to the rest of the world in the case of the nation. What is it a request for? Look at verse 2. This petition seeks God's favor and his blessing. It also seeks God's revelation of himself to the world or to the nations. Notice that, verse 2, that your way may be known upon the earth or on the earth. Unless we uh, not understand, it's not just the, the ethics, it's not just the behavior, it's not just what's pleasing to God in what we do, it's the salvation of God. It's the grace and goodness of God shown through his saving work, that your way and further explanation, your salvation among all the nations. What does this tell us? It tells us in part that the conduit for blessing to the world comes through the Jewish nation. That is evident from the call of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those promises that really focused on the Messiah. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the Jewish nation today. I'm talking about the Jewish nation insofar it was the nation through whom the Christ would come, and he came. Salvation, Jesus said, is of the Jews. He said to the Samaritan woman, you don't know what you're worshiping. But salvation is of the Jews. The nations are ignorant. The nations don't know the way of salvation apart from God revealing it. God's way must be revealed, and this means they are in darkness apart from the knowledge of salvation as God gives it. One writer said, The world is ignorant of true religion till God by his own instruments reveal it. And no way of religion will please God or profit men save God's way only, wherein he will have men to walk in the course of faith and obedience and wherein he reveals how he will deal with us and how we must behave ourselves towards him. If salvation was just a matter of worshiping the light, the God that you had, then Jonah never needed to go to the Ninevites then Jesus' great commission to go preach the gospel of the nations did not need to be given. But the reality is, Jesus Christ's name does need to be known. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And so this message given through the Jews in seed form, pun intended, in the Old Testament, then is is revealed in the New Testament in the person of Jesus Christ, and he is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the only way that people can be saved. That message is a message of salvation, not just for the Jews. It's a message of salvation for all the nations. This salvation that God provides is not local. It is global. It's not for one nation In the Middle East, it's for all the nations, in all the places of the whole world, the islands, the mountains, wherever there is population, God's message of salvation needs to go. I like the spirit of an author by the name of John Boyce as he spoke about your way and your salvation. He said, thy way, that is, thy Christ. 
thy saving health, that is, thy Jesus. For I am the way, saith our Savior. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Wherefore, let thy Son be known upon earth, thy Jesus among all nations. And with fuller revelation, certainly that's the truth. That salvation comes through Jesus Christ, comes through God's Son. He is the one mediator between God and men. And when people come to know who God is and his way of salvation, when they come to know that there is salvation in no other, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, as Peter said, when that message comes and it is believed and people come to trust in the Lord Jesus and know that their sins are forgiven, that they have eternal life, that they have the Spirit of God within, that they have the earnest of the inheritance that God has provided, that they have a hope in heaven forever, that they will, as we sang tonight, see his blessed face. Then they just want to praise him. That's the heart of the psalmist as well. Because following this prayer and petition, he adds this prayer, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So this is definitely a missionary psalm. It's a prayer for the universal worship of God. Let the peoples, unless we misunderstand as if that's a localized group, he says, let all the peoples, all the nations, let it not be restricted to a few. This is one of those places that you can see in Scripture that God intended, intends for the Gentiles to be included in the plan of salvation. We know that from the New Testament for sure. In the Old Testament, it's clear as well. You can look at the call to Abraham. What did he say to Abraham beyond his promise of blessing? He said, I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. I think it's rightly said, missions began with Abraham in the sense of God's express indication that the nations would be the recipient of blessing coming from Abraham's line. We know that the gospel was promised before that in Genesis 3. Well, what does this tell us? It tells us that God is a global God, that God desires his worship, and that those who love God and know God also desire him to be worshipped, not just by a few, not just by the nation that I live in, but by all the nations of the world, that that darkness would be turned into light and from pole to pole, from the east to the west, from the north to the south, from the continents to the farthest islands that are populated, God is to be known and God is to be worshipped. That's his desire. And I just ask you tonight, is that your desire? Is there something in your heart that resonates with the psalmist? If you know the greatness of Jesus Christ and who he truly is, this is your desire. You want him as the very son of God who is the one mediator between God and men to be worshipped. He's the son of man to whom the nations will come and they will worship him. That's the promise of Daniel 7. And as they sing... What a wonderful thing to hear. In fact, that's the next line in verse 4. Let the nations be glad. So this 
word that is given in verse 3, praise you, is added an attitude of gladness and joy and rejoicing. It says, and sing for joy. So there's a melody coming and harmonies from the nations to God. This scripture is not empty. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. When the nations come to understand the saving work of God, verse 2, they praise God and they begin to worship God. What a beautiful thing it will be. Spurgeon said, we've heard hundreds and even thousands sing in chorus. I don't know what it would have been like to have been at the Metropolitan Tabernacle or other places where Spurgeon preached, but thousands of people singing. He says, we've heard hundreds and even thousands sing in chorus, but what will it be to hear whole nations lifting up their voices as the noise of many waters and like great thunders? When shall the age of song begin? When shall groans and murmurs be exchanged for holy hymns and joyful melodies? And that really turned my heart as I was thinking about that to the book of Revelation. When there are multitudes and myriads, whether of angels or men, the elders, worshiping and praising God. There's the song of the 144,000 In Revelation 14, the song of Moses and the Lamb in Revelation 15. I say that is not an empty scripture in Psalm 100, and neither is this prayer going to go unanswered. So we may be few in number. We may, on this earth and Wherever we are, whatever church we find ourselves in, sometimes we may find ourselves in a larger company of believers, but nations, nations gathered together around Christ, worshiping him, praising him, joyfully doing so, with affection in their hearts for him because of his saving work. Because of who he is as the ruler of the world. Look at verse 4. There's, in addition to his salvation, verse 2, there's also an acknowledgement of who he is as the sovereign one and what he does in the earth. Let the nations, verse 4, be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth, Selah. So I put it this way, the cause of their joy-filled singing certainly is the salvation of God, verse 2, but it also is the righteous rule of God, his righteous governing of the earth, and his righteous and good guidance of the nations. I don't know about you, whenever I see in verse 4 a statement like that in Scripture, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness, I tend to think of final judgment. You're going to judge the peoples with uprightness. and In other words, the final verdict that is given to every person or nation as it may be is going to be the right one because it's God who's judging. And he is the judge of all the earth. There certainly will be a final judgment. 
But there's also this idea of God's governing and administration of the nations. You can see in Psalm 2 that Christ is going to rule with a rod of iron. He's going to ask, and the heathen are going to be given to him. The Gentiles are going to be given to him as his inheritance, and he will rule over them. And how will he rule? He'll rule righteously. We can see that from the promises of the Messiah that have not yet come to pass. Isaiah's prophecy, whether chapter 2 or chapter 11, when you look at the ministry of the Messiah, some of what he has promised to do has not yet happened. We know that he is going to give final judgment. You see that in the book of Revelation. But Isaiah 11 says he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. And as Isaiah continues, he describes the amazing peace that reigns during the time when the Prince of Peace rules on the earth. So, of course, this is looking forward to the millennium, looking to a time when Christ, after having judged the earth, comes and rules upon the earth. And those peoples will sing for joy in his righteous rule. says you will judge, and that's his governing. But notice as well, it says he'll guide the nations on the earth. You will judge. You will guide the nations on the earth. That word guide, if you just trace the Hebrew word through Scripture, you find it showing up in interesting places like Psalm 23. (coughs) He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So this is his shepherding care and guidance. The same guidance that he gave Israel in Exodus 15, in your loving kindness you have led the people whom you've redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. So this isn't something that he hasn't done in the past. It's something that he does do for individuals, but the scope of it is so much greater here. The scope is not just an individual or a single nation. The scope is, what does it say? The nations. He asked the question, what would it take for the nations of the world to follow the guidance of one person. Well, even with the Antichrist, it's going to take a miracle. But when Christ rules on the earth, he is the one that David was speaking of when David said, the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men righteously, who rules in the fear of God, is as the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds when the tender grass springs out of the earth through sunshine after rain. And David says, Truly, is not my house so with God? For he's made an everlasting covenant with me. This is God's promise to David that he would have a son who would come and reign that way. He would reign on the earth. He would reign righteously. And he would bring blessing to the earth. And that hasn't happened yet. But it's gonna. Does that fill your heart with hope? That 
we won't have the tyranny and the corruption, the favoritism, people who are uh, influenced by being bribed or lobbyists. This ruler will not be influenced or beholden to more powerful nations or the rich and famous of the earth. He will do what is right always. And his name is Faithful and True. And I don't know about you, but when I think about the Lord Jesus and who he is and his coming, and I think sometimes about what's taking place in the earth, I mean, just watch the news. And this happens sometimes when people start talking about politics. I just say, come, Lord Jesus. Because you can get your political party into power, but if it's not the Lord Jesus, it's not going to be perfect. There will be a rejoicing in the reign of God, the sovereignty of God, a submission to his rule, a gladness and joy. That's the prayer. It is going to be answered, and the psalmist can't help himself. He says it again. Look at verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This is the second prayer. Why is it repeated? One person said it's repeated because it calls attention to a great and neglected duty and because God would teach us that his salvation would awaken thanksgiving. When the nations come to understand God's salvation, when they understand the righteous rule of God on the earth, there will be thanks. Their hearts will be right. And that's something I hope that you long for as a believer. I hope that as you have come to understand and know, verse 2, God's salvation, and as you come to understand his sovereignty, his good guidance and leadership in your life, personally, that you'll give him praise. And that when others come to understand the salvation and come to understand who he is as the sovereign God, that you'll rejoice with them that they've come to understand it. Because that's the truth. It's the truth. It's not just a good idea. It's the truth. He does save, and he does reign, and he will observably in the end. Now, verses 6 and 7 close this psalm with a prophetic, I would call this a prophetic recognition of God's blessing. Because there have been all of these petitions, verse 1, the purpose of the petition, verse 2, the Petition, verse 3, let the peoples praise you. Verse 4, another petition, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. The reason, verse 4, but another petition, verse 5, a couple of them repeated. Obviously repeating that same uh, verbatim from verse 3. But then verse 6 has a past tense. In other words, the prayer is looking to something yet future, But verse 6 is translated, the earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. That's one reason that some believe that this prayer was given at the feast of the harvest or the feast of the ingathering, that God had actually shown his blessing to the nation and that his blessing to the nation as it was shown to the nation was then to be extended. The knowledge of him was to be extended to the other nations. That's one way 
to look at it, and certainly there had to be someone's heart who initially thought this and wrote this, but I do believe we're talking about something that is yet future. Something that anticipates by faith, and almost, if you could put it this way, sees with a virtual reality the scene. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. That same time in which Christ reigns, that same time in which the nations are glad and rejoicing in God, is a time of unprecedented blessing in the earth. Yes, the animals will be at peace, but the reapers will still be reaping, according to one of the prophets, and those who are plowing up the ground are going to be coming after them. So it's like there's so much that they just can't take it all in in the amount of time that you would expect them to because of the blessing that God is bringing. So the earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. And why does God bless us? Why is this expectation, and again, there's a repetition of this idea as well, he doesn't bless us for just ourselves. He's not bringing blessing to the nation of Israel just for itself. The blessing is for the nations. The knowledge of him comes through the Jewish nation, specifically through the Messiah, but as those 144,000 or any other Jew preaches the gospel of their Messiah, it's going to be a ministry to the Gentiles. This is part of what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 11 when he is talking about God's working with the nation and the partial hardening that had come to the nation of Israel. A partial hardening has come until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, but Paul says that when the fulfillment or the fullness of the Jews comes, what will that mean for the world? He says in Romans eleven twelve. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? And we see a picture of that at Pentecost, but certainly not the full harvest. I say a picture of that. Just briefly think about Pentecost for a moment. And I mean the Pentecost when God in Christ sent the Spirit. What was his purpose for the nations? What was his purpose for his people? Well, at a time when they gathered together, and the Scripture says there were people from every nation under heaven that had gathered there. That's why all the languages were different because they'd come from these other nations. They gather together and that's when God pours out his spirit. They come together and that's when he pours out his spirit. They didn't stay there. Now certainly there was a celebration and rejoicing for what God was doing, but they didn't stay there. Did they stay for a time? Yes. Did some of them want to stay? Yes. But they had other nations to get back to. 
other synagogues to take the message of Christ. Christ has come. His name is Jesus. And those Jews went out. Just think about that. God's pouring out of the Spirit was very targeted at a point in time where his people were gathered together, they learned of who the Messiah was, and then there was a scattering. And let's not forget the Apostle Paul either. Apostle to the Gentiles who was absolutely on fire after God saved him. Traveled all around, all around the Mediterranean preaching the gospel with Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and Luke. And look at all the ministry partners that he had. The heart of that man was ignited by God to preach the message of salvation to the Gentiles so that the Gentiles would come to glorify God for his mercy. God is a God of missions. If we're not people in line with that, we need to get in line with that. And I'm not just talking about foreign missions. I'm talking about preaching the gospel wherever it may be. That's here in Cuyahoga Falls, in Akron, wherever you live, and yes, of course, to the nations. May the Lord help us to see our place as we echo this prayer. And just by way of application, we'll be finished tonight. This is a Jew praying, God blesses us, that all the ends of the earth may fear him. I think we can echo that prayer, not in the same sense. We're not the Jewish people. But when we pray for God's blessing upon us, I hope we're not prosperity preachers or prosperity believers in that we think that the blessing is just going to come to us and terminate on us. That's not ever God's purpose. His purpose when he blesses us is to then serve him with what he blesses us with. And you can see that in the New Testament, the lives of believers. You can see it in church history. And may God, by his grace, work that out in each of our lives as well. Let's close tonight with a singing of a hymn. Jesus shall reign, number 51.